Investing in your business can be a wonderful way to grow wealth and live the life you want. That's what I'm doing. But investing in someone else's business can be even better. In my opinion, this is the best way to generate true passive income streams. Through ETFs or exchange-traded funds, you can buy a basket of shares in different companies in one trade. BetaShares offers Australia's broadest range of ETFs, including the Global Cashflow Kings ETF, ticker symbol CFLO, which lets you invest in 200 companies with high levels of free cash flow, such as Visa and Costco, in one ETF. You can learn more about CFLO and the BetaShares fund range by visiting betashares.com.au. Read the PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Welcome to RASC's Australian Business Podcast, a series for entrepreneurs who dare to leave the world in a better place and get paid while we do it. This podcast will make you a better business owner, investor, founder, or entrepreneur. If you want to start a business or already have one, please subscribe to the series or share it with your friends, business partner, or colleagues. And don't forget to consider taking our free business course, which includes heaps of templates for creating business plans, HR documents, employee files, all of my software recommendations, and more. The course is completely free and available via the link in your podcast player. Okay, let's get into the episode. Sonia and Leighton, thank you for taking some time to join me on the show. Thanks, Owen. Nice to be here. Thanks for having us. It's a shame. We're we're going to attempt the first four-way podcast across the Tasman, but uh, it's uh, the three of us here, and we're going to be talking about the shares, this business that you've built with the team, how, why when things went wrong, when things went right, and so many other things. But many people who know the Sharesies brand will know from social media, from whether they're using it as their brokerage account, investing in local, international, New Zealand shares, whatever, they'll know that there's a pineapple for a logo. And I actually have some socks at home that Brendan, shout out to Brendan, country manager for Australia, gave to me uh, at an event, a ladies finance club event. And I was very grateful. They're very comfy socks, I might add. And they have pineapples on it. And I love the pineapples and I love the the logo and the design of the whole Sharesies platform. Sonia, maybe you can fill us in. Like, why did you choose a pineapple? <laughs> yeah, and I'm glad you've got some socks, <laughs> especially coming into the colder months. So the reason we've picked the pineapple is, is really important. You know, we wanted something that captured people's attention, but also gave a bit of information about what we're about and easily recognisable. And I don't know if you know, but um, the pineapple actually is a really nice metaphor for what we're trying to create with Sharesies. And it's got a super interesting history. And so if you go back in time, pineapples were really rare and expensive and people used to hire them if they were having a dinner party and as a table setting and um, then give them back afterwards. And as well, you'll see in in old buildings, pineapples are often in the facades and they really were only for the rich. And then over time, pineapples have gone on their own democratization journey where it's a nice simple a symbol of hospitality, of prosperity, of wealth. And now we're at a place where you know you can buy it in a can and, and eat it on a pizza if you like. And so we liked that journey that the pineapple had gone on as a bit of a symbol from something that was once for the wealthy and is now widely accessible for us. Yeah, I love that. A lot of people get stuck on logos and they hear stories like this when they start their business and they think, I need to come up with something like this. So then, you know, from 2017 till now that people can still be asking about the logo 
But I, I oftentimes I said to people, don't overthink of it. Just kind of get into your business and just get started. But obviously, this has got a great backstory. And so it's well chosen. I might stick with you for a moment. So as I said, most people in the RAS community who buy and sell shares or ETFs will know the shares is brand. But what was the motivation or inspiration behind starting the business? And then maybe we'll come to how it started. Yeah, great. So we started around the end of 2016. And at the time, the media around New Zealand was a lot to do with millennials not being able to buy houses because they spent all their money on smashed avocado on toast, and which was just such a yarn, right? Like I think house prices were rising, it was getting further out of reach. And the advice that existed was get on the property ladder. You know, there were a lot of it was, you know, when you thought about investing, it was property, but that was getting so out of reach for so many people. So started thinking, you know, what's the good news story here? How are people starting out today going to get ahead? Investing in anything else was just too hard. So um, a group of us, six of us got together. The original idea, which was, I would love to invest. I would love to see my friends investing. How could we do this online, small amounts in a really fun way? Six of us co-founders got together from a range of different backgrounds, decided this was a mission that everyone cared about too. How do we, what would this world look like if more people could um, get access to wealth without having to have heaps of wealth to begin with? So we started working on that idea. We went around, we talked to people because it's one thing to have an idea. It's another thing to have have a business off the back of that idea. And the key thing in that is that it's something that people care about and it's a problem that people have. And those interviews, we all went out and talked to people about money, about how they felt about money, about their life, how money played a role in their life. And after those conversations, it was pretty hard for us to turn away or to not be excited by that as a big grunty problem or opportunity, really, because what we found from that was most people didn't consider themselves to be investors or that investing was something that they could do. But I think it was something like 99.9% of people said they wanted to be an investor and it's something they would do if they could. But the main barriers were that they were priced out, jargoned out and branded out, that the solutions that existed just didn't meet the needs of the majority. So we went to work and um, started building this platform together that met those needs. And we worked quite closely with our customers or a small group at the time of people and continue to evolve our product as we have done over the last six or so years. We're still continuing to evolve what we do. Mm, I love it. So I don't, I can't think of any other business, any business that has started with so many people making that decision to go and do that. So maybe this is a question for you, Leighton, is just how did you all come together? Like, how, how did you know each other? How did you come together? And how did you all decide that, yes, I'm going to take a risk on this thing, like a career risk, a financial risk, all that stuff, and do it? Yeah, pretty loosely, unstrategically and organically, (laughs) 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 would say, which I think is potentially a good lesson for business. So, you know, some of the things we often get asked about tips for people or anything like that. And I think it's, you know, there's not a set of rules is probably one of the best things that I think anyone can ever realize. Like, you know, all the rules came about from some precedent, which maybe didn't need to be a precedent. So yeah, in Shares' case specifically, you touch on the number of us, six of us, and it really wasn't liked, particularly by the investing community. And by that, I mean, like sort of angel investing type community. And we got a lot of, and I, you know, I use community as a very broad term there because there were people who sort of were very supportive and couldn't have cared less. But by and large, we got a lot of feedback on that as something that would hurt us down the track. But 
like so starting with like the connection between us so sonia and i worked at kiwi bank which is one of the was it's a new zealand government was government owned bank um and we'd sort of been there for a few years and we've done quite a lot of work together and we got connected over over this investing topic really i had an investment club which we where we put 50 dollars a week away so it sort of became like a proof point or a conversation point that hey you can actually invest with 50 dollars, but how do we make this available to a lot more people and then like brooke and i we weren't married at the time we are now but we were a couple so and we'd already decided that we were going to start a business and didn't really know what that business was we'd sort about things in financial education we had a bit of a graveyard of domain names and company names and registered business stuff we had one called my manage air which was going to manage airbnb for people there's like all sorts of random things you know and then like sonia's partner ben was a designer so again you know relationship there and then rich and martin so they were running a consultancy together they were our technical founder are our technical founders and martin and i played in a brass band together and that sort of talked to me about coming to work with them and their consultancy probably a few months before and at the time timing wasn't right so it's all sort of like i say quite organic and and just happened and then we ended up in a room for a conversation one day to talk about it i don't really feel like there was ever a decision maybe sonia you can remember differently that we're going to work on it together like i don't think that was like a conversation we had necessarily it just sort of got legs in some way of what if it could so I think Brooke, Sonia and I d- did make a decision. Like we were sort of like, well, let's, there's an accelerator coming up and we decided we were going to do the quit our job things and, and take off to do that. And then whilst we were doing that early discovery stuff, we sort of had lots of conversations still with Ben, Martin, Richard, and and they joined us not that much longer, maybe, you know, they were sort of there having chats, but they probably made the jump into being full-time and taking that full risk three or four months later. And yeah, like I say, it was. I think we were all at a point in our careers where where we felt a need to take this. Like we, I think everyone there knew that we might have an opportunity here, and that the problem was big. So on the other side of that, potentially something that we had the skills to solve for. And yeah, outside of that, honestly, it's so hard to give much more of a recipe for it because it it's it just there wasn't one. It it just sort of fell together, and and we just kept talking. Conversations happened, and. I guess ultimately we all, the six of us, made the decision to quit our jobs and go full time, and that's that's how it started. It's like once you've made that commitment, you're in there. There's lots that happened after that to make it work with six people, I think. Like, but the actual coming together it was easy. A lot of the literature, from at least from the VC, seems to suggest that like two founders is a good combo. And as a single, I don't really refer to myself as a founder, but like if I was a business owner, I'm a single person in this. So. I do envy anyone that has the sounding board. This is maybe a question for either of you, but in those early days, did you guys have any doubts about doing it as a group? Or was it like, no, everyone's kind of brings something unique and the differences can be sorted out and we're all pretty respectful, kind of like similar values type people? Yeah, I never had any doubts and I don't, don't Sonia may have different thoughts here, but not on the group Every day. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but not on the group aspect of it. Honestly, I still can't imagine how you'd do it without that. Like, I think the buy-in of, look, we were trying to build something that was needed. To, we call ourselves a fun tech, right? And it's like, so, and fintech just captures part of what you need to be. You also, like, we had the fun because it needs to be creative, particularly if in retail. You need to have something that really engages with people. So we needed, like, we're dealing with people's money. So you, you cannot 
whatever term you want to use there, up the technology side of it, right? It needs to be safe. It needs to move money correctly. You need people who understand it well enough or are good enough problem solvers or have had some history in problem solving, both in financial services and in technology, to think about how you could create that. And then you need to have exceptional design and thinking around that to make sure that you're delivering an experience that's valuable to people. So I don't think any one of us had that individually. So like the thought of doing that myself is quite terrifying, actually. If I have fears, it's like the idea that it might have ended up with just me in some way. And the fact that we had this group around us was absolutely like, they used to refer to Brooke Sonia at least as sort of whack-a-mole. It's like you might get one of us down, but maybe you'd be lucky and get two of us down at a time. But one of us would always pop up and say, why, hey, we can get through this and, and why that goes. So a lot of confidence around that. And then like only in the last year, so Ben's now sort of not working at Shazies anymore. He's decided that full-time dating's for him, I think, and or at least in, before he gets on to whatever his creative thing is. And we still talk a lot and engage. But up until then, six years, the, all of us had been there and we'd all been sort of leading the business as executives. And just that extra buy-in that you get from everyone when that's your role as well and you feel like so i don't think any one of us would feel any more committed or dedicated to the business than the other because we've all got recently even shares in the ownership of the business and being there from the start in all this context so yeah i can absolutely see how it can go wrong you hear lots of stories of two founders where it goes wrong right maybe it's even harder with two sometimes but i don't think we were different enough in skill set probably similar enough in values to your point earlier and brave enough to have those conversations early and appreciate that if we've all got the same view, then why would we all be here? Like if conflict's just been a natural part of us building the product right from the start. But I think we all respect that as something that's very necessary as opposed to something that's holding us back in any way. Finally, on that is like, I think we're also very good at just, if there is some disagreement there, which to be honest, often there is, ultimately we decide on, whatever factor we use or whoever's decision it is, and then we get behind it. And I don't think there's ever been doubt around the fact that even if there is some doubt or some disagreement, then ultimately we'll all be there to, to tell the story and, and work towards well, New Zealand. We talk about being, being on the same walker. Australia might talk about the canoe or whatever that is, but we'll make sure we're right in the same direction. Yeah, great, Leighton. And I think to just round out, like no doubts at all. And if anything, it was a source of comfort. And I think, you know, what you were saying, Owen, around the different, setups you know being on your own versus being in a partnership versus being in a team and I think those different relationships have different dynamics at play and I'm a fundamental believer that business is a team sport so it's going to end up being a team anyway and it was really nice to start from a position of we and I think partnerships can quickly get you and I and you know like I think that partnerships can turn in that way and as Leighton said, lots of like infrastructure went in to support that team operating really well. It was challenging, but it was also a real power up to be on a team from so early on. Sonia, do you have any ideas, and maybe you don't, maybe I'm just catching you off guard here, do you have any ideas if like a single person, business owner or would-be founder was to come to you and they say, I don't have anyone in my immediate circle that I know like, what should those types of people be looking for? Who should they be looking for? Should they be looking for anyone? Yeah, I think that depends on what you need. Like, if you're asking the question, this is really if someone's wanting to grow and get more people supporting them, is that a thing? Yeah, so I definitely think it's like, if you're asking that question, the answer could be no, cool, like, keep doing what you're doing. 
But I think if the answer is, I think more here would help us expand or or grow in this way, then it's what do you need? I definitely know of people who have established a business on their own and brought on a co-founder relationship later on because they really wanted a partner and, and a peer and, and someone, because it is a different dynamic to bringing in someone working with you. So I know someone who's done that and and has felt great about doing that and has seen the business grow. And equally, that's about that other person being as brought in as you are and continuing in that way. I don't know many people have brought in so many people afterwards. I can't think of anyone. Yeah, yes. Other than maybe like law firms or partners, do they come on as like, you know, in a partnership model? It's a bit different. Yeah. That's cool. I I just had to talk to that because um, it's so unique in the industry, not just finance, but I guess any industry, I should say. So like people know shares is like, I've got the app on my phone, right? I can buy and sell shares, ETFs, I can automate stuff. But that's like what we see as investors using the platform. Can you describe how the business model works? Like how you guys built it? Like how you thought about like pricing these things without excluding people? Like you mentioned that was like a key barrier for people when you set out. So can you just describe kind of what I would call the economics of a business, like how it all comes together? Yeah, I mean, the business model in in a phrase, I suppose, is probably motivated and confident investors. So that means that that's how we make money. Like our value is providing something that gives access, confidence, motivation is what we talk about as a strategy. Access in itself is actually probably quite a small part of that, right? Because if you have access, to be honest, there's been access in some shape or form for a very long time, right? There's one of the things we've done is broken that down to much smaller dollar amounts possibly, but still, if you really wanted to do it, you could save up and you could have done it. So there was that, these other things around the confidence and motivation, um, which was very important. So, and we do try really hard as any business should to align our own business model and how we make money with good outcomes for our customers and our investors. So that's sort of the shape of it, of it with regards to practically how we actually make money. So we have, transaction fees on buying and selling of shares and ETFs. Um, And we also have some arrangements with companies. So in New Zealand in particular, and we're sort of growing into this in Australia, we support companies with better relationships with their shareholders and also with their staff through company share plans and that type of thing. And then we also offer managed funds and funds as well. So we have distribution effectively on behalf of fund managers for those. So that's how we make money with regards to access for everyone the vision of shares is the same money opportunities for someone with five dollars and five million dollars and that's visions more or less been the same since we started the company we started at 50 and fifty thousand, and just ended up that 50 wasn't low enough and with this technology why shouldn't it be lower and fifty thousand was not high enough because people with fifty thousand dollars still felt very left out so what we think about with that is just every time is why can't we make it available for someone $5? And if you're making it available, then it also has to be available commercially. So that's why we have a, um, a subscription model, which we have in New Zealand and that we are going to be introducing into Australia. So people can effectively buy or have a regular plan, which enables them to do auto investing, we call it, and other types of investing on their choice within a cap. And then also we have a percentage basically all our fees are capped. So as opposed to a flat fee or a fee plus, which tends to be the traditional models for pricing, what I mean by that is you might say, hey, it's $10 per trade or it's $10 plus 0.3% or something like that. It tends to be the traditional model. We've got a up to, in Australia, for example, $6 for 
for an Australian share a maximum. So that enables people to to invest with whatever amount they've got, whether it's one dollar or two dollars or whatever that is. So we've always worked really hard on enabling that. From a technology end, that's not very complicated at all. Computers don't care if you do one of a share or one of a share. Like it's all the other things around it that were hard. Things like licensing or regulation can be quite complicated around that. And also the commercial the existing commercial arrangements of financial services, which have all been around really serving those bigger customers and the larger ones, and as a result, didn't support the idea of lots and lots of transactions at smaller amounts. So those are the parts we've really sort of had to break down for the business model there. Mm. I love to explain it. There's um, obviously in a competitive market, you've got to differentiate yourself and you've got that comes with like multiple different things. And some people are price conscious, other people aren't. And it's more, it's more than that, right? As you said. So Sonia, I think I've got the most recent numbers that well, it's the most recent numbers that I could find at around five hundred and seventy-five thousand investors using the Sharesies platform in Australia and New Zealand. Like, if that's true, that's an incredible number, right? That's so many people investing. Just like hats off to you guys. It's so awesome. I guess like building something at that scale, crossing the pond as well. Like, how does that happen? I guess. Yeah, and we're still finding out how, but, um, but yes, those um, numbers are correct. And I think, you know, the first thing first is you've got to connect with people. So as I said, it starts with really understanding the problem that people have and, and then being really committed to building a solution that meets those needs. And that has changed over time. Like the first version of our product was six exchange traded funds available. But that met the needs of that audience to begin with. It allowed us that first start. It allowed us to test whether people would invest if there was a platform that removed the minimum, made it accessible and provided a bit of support and education and storytelling around it. So I think the first thing, one of the challenges was that cultural change, that people didn't see themselves as investors or that investing was something that everyone did or or could be something that everyone did. And that's such an ingrained cultural narrative that you know we were really aware that we had to overcome if, if we wanted to be successful here. And so that what that really meant was we've always just been had a relentless focus on our customer and and understanding their needs, a two way conversation because we're on this path to creating financial empowerment. And that happens um, one step at a time, and people really need to feel that. Um, so, and that that speaks to our internal and external approach to how how we do things. We equally spend as much time explaining things internally as a team. You'll see that and how we approach it. We try to cut the jargon in, in our business um, as much as possible because that's what's important to our customers too. And so, it's really just like how do you create this focus on what you're actually delivering for your customers and continue evolving that over time. We definitely don't think we're done um, in solving and probably it's going to be our life's work. Like we hope Shares is an intergenerational company because, but we hope that the problems or the ways of solving those problems are what changes over time. And then as well as that, there's been the how of running a business. So there's the what and the why, which is our mission that we've had to learn how to build and grow a team in New Zealand and, and globally at a time that has been incredibly um, volatile. So as for growing the team, we like that's such an important part. We grew 
and did grow quite fast. And um, it was really important that we and like kept central to what it meant to be Sharesies and and that those values of how we were running the company really could echo through the whole company. So even you know, Leighton touched on earlier when the six of us started working together. What are some of the things we had in place for us to work really well? We then those things were putting in place our values. We spent some time going, what type of company are we trying to build here? What are we, we could either, it could happen by accident or it could happen by design. So let's get ahead of this and, and start talking about it. And um, our values have allowed us to really like grow our team but stay on the same page. And those are um, Chase Remarkable. And that's about doing things that are worth remarking on. And the key there is in the word chase, which means we don't arrive at being remarkable or we're not being, you know, it's about always chasing what that looks like and redesigning that every day. And it's together that we really believe that teams do things and always care. So putting care into our work and caring for each other, but also caring for our customers, our stakeholders, everyone around us. So those are kind of some of the challenges. and then. Obviously, the environment that we've been in, then going international. Yeah, through COVID. You know, that's been things like be hard to find a business not impacted by that. And that's just around like constantly reevaluating our approach and taking a long term lens, but really executing on that day, a day at a time. <laughs> I love that. I was actually listening to a podcast this morning on my way into the city with, um, I think it was Howard Schultz, who's not technically the founder of Starbucks, but like the CEO. And um, in there's some phrase I think that he said, which was like, don't try to be the best, just show everyone you care. And through that caring, you actually become the best because you always care. You always show people that you care. And so I love that as like a, that just that word care for your community, for your customers, for your team. From the shares team that I've met, it's definitely evident. So I think maybe there's like a, the spring of that comes from that original six where you guys had to deal with that together. And then maybe having that kind of build out from there is actually, I say easier from where I sit, but I'm sure there, as you mentioned, many obstacles, like building that out was actually easier because you'd already fostered that as a group. So building from a group is probably maybe in my sense, maybe it's easier than building from a singular person who has a vision and is trying hard to articulate that, but doesn't have that sounding board earlier on like you guys had. And so you can carry that with you as you grow, which is really cool. But Leighton, I know like being a finance person, I know the Australian regulatory environment is a nightmare. That's how I can phrase it. You don't have to phrase it that way. I prefer not to if it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) But like from someone who's trying to provide financial education every day, I know how difficult it is. Maybe that's the way I can phrase it, how difficult and complicated it can seem. So what were some of the obstacles, even if it's not that, like some of the obstacles coming to Australia other than team, which Sonia just touched on and building that culture? Is there anything else that you would call out? I mean, there's no doubt that regulations up there were the challenge, right? And uh, let's be honest, like it's supposed to be a barrier, bad actors or, you know, whatever that is. And I think sometimes when we get frustrated in that part of the world, you know, what regulation doesn't take into account is good intent or and because firstly businesses last longer than any one person and longer than any intent and people's people can change right so for all sorts of reasons and there's lots of examples where unpoliced good intent has gone really wrong that's not to say that 
when you are just trying to do something good and innovation and even quite aligned with what where regulators are trying to hit, it can still be really challenging and, and massive barriers to companies and innovation to get going and get ahead. So that has been really hard. Building a team in Australia. So you mentioned Brendan earlier. He's our country manager. We were very lucky to find him. In the end, it seemed like a sort of meant to be situation, all these random connections. He tells a story of Brooke and I moved to Sydney when we were trying to hire a country manager after a couple of failed online attempts and we were walking past him on the street on the way to work. So it was just like these real funny stories like that just before we interviewed him that day. So he obviously Googled us or something, knew what we looked like. But hiring has, has been challenging up until we got Brennan. But then even once we did have him, we ended up in lockdowns for quite some time. So it's like the connection was way harder, as we know. Like humans still like to be face-to-face, right? It's still a way better way of building relationships than, than over the internet, even though we use these tools so so much better now. In my opinion, anyway, still just much better to have that connection. So that's been challenging. And then finally, like the markets are close enough to be dangerous, New Zealand and Australia, right? Like people can, you can often think about the way we behave, consume things, all these types of things as people talk about cousins, brother, sister relationship, or, you know, whatever that term people might use for it. But in reality, it's actually just really different. The mindset is different. The way people consume things um, and the way people invest in all those is different. So, and we have, you know, in my case, not quite Sonia's case, but nearly Sonia's case, 35 years of experience of the New Zealand psyche and, and how that works and everything. And we just don't didn't have that in the same way for Australia. Talk about regulatory regimes. Like we've worked in financial services in New Zealand. So we understand how that works much better what we know um, about Australia or what we knew about previously. So we've had to work really, really hard on that. And I would say, speaking honestly, we made some cliched mistakes when we first entered Australia with regards to how similar or how we approached it, what ended up being a much larger market. And I think we've learned very quickly through necessity, there's different ways to do it and that we just need to play a more steady game learn, get customers on board, solve the problem for the customers and make sure that they actually want to tell their friends about it. And that's just a far better way of building a business. And to be honest, this is exactly how we built the business in New Zealand. So we sort of ended up in a situation of, in a really crude sense, trying to buy customers. And it's just not a great way to do it. You've got to earn earn that relationship and with financial services more so than anything, I think. So yeah, quite a few differences and there are quite a few challenges but I feel like we've really got some good momentum now and we've taken some good learnings and a few humbling learnings along the way as well. Mm. So that's interesting. Um, like one of the questions that I wanted to to get across to you guys, and either of you could chime in on this, but um, it's just this idea of like the big picture goals. Like people, when you do like the VC funding or you speak to investors or even just people you know, they want to know, like, well, why are you doing this? Like what's the big picture? Like what do you envisage? Are you guys fans of that way of thinking? Because I know a lot of people aren't. A lot of people just like the process and they set like monthly or quarterly goals at most. They don't really think too far ahead. They just kind of go, I know I want to go in that general direction, but I don't really have a goal in mind. Maybe Leighton, we'll start with you. How do you think about that? I think one thing Brooke, Sonia and I are probably very aligned on is big picture to a different extent and in a different way, Richard Martin and Ben were similar. Although I think they struggled a little bit sometimes maybe with the ambition or the the idea but every now and again we pulled it off like i had this really interesting conversation because it's people really don't like it in teams often and again i'm speaking generically but a lot of people really struggle with the the big picture and they feel like you feel like it's impossible and as a result why bother working towards it or you know you do hear these sort of rhetorics 
quite often as leaders. And it's something I personally really struggle with because I think, and I guess, you know, because Brooke, Sonia and I are quite similar in that we have these big and we love talking about what it could be and then working towards it in that respect, not wanting to put too many words in Sonia's mouth here as well, because I'm sure she's got her own views, but it's been so key to shares he's getting ahead and where we're trying to get to. So I just really encourage, and I have conversations with the team all the time on why that's important. We had a really funny one. I'm sure this person won't mind me sharing, but it was sort of put to me at sort of Friday night demo and drink situation the other day that is there a risk that Shazzy's culture becomes a lot like a lot more like a bank as we get larger. And look, there's lots of great things about bank culture, to be honest. I think sometimes we get a hard rep because they're clearly very good commercial models, right? And by and large, they're very well trusted, particularly in New Zealand. And I think to a similar extent in Australia and stuff as well. But there are some things that as a company our size, you just don't want to be compared to in that same way. Like it, it's different, right? And for me, so much of that comes down to how you set goals. And from my time in banking, it was very seldom we ever set a goal that we didn't think that we would pretty much definitely hit. And at Shares, we regularly hit a goal that's just just always feels too stretchy. You know, it just doesn't need to be... I never see them as impossible, but they always feel hard enough to think like probably what is that in my logical brain, right? And the sort of creative and excited part of my brain says, actually, but what if we did? What if we got it? And every now and again, we do. And I, I sort of just put it back. I was like, look, if we just prior to this conversation would have one around stretchy goals and this person thinking it, it was time we stopped that. And in my view, if you want to create a culture like a bank or something, then you start setting goals like them. So if we want to continue being ambitious and trying to innovate and really change the way some of this stuff works, then we we have to have that vision and share that widely. So it's a very long way of saying, yeah, I'm a massive fan of big goals and big thinking. But sorry, let you share your thoughts. Yeah, I think it's a huge motivator. Like I, I like the part, you know, Leighton touched on being a fun tech before. But to me, like a big part of what we're doing, especially when you're creating something that doesn't, the solutions don't exist yet right otherwise there would be financial empowerment and everyone would be financially empowered so like a big part of what we're doing is imagining a future that doesn't exist and like I just think that people sometimes can undercook the power of imagination and and for creating a future and it all of a sudden then puts you in the driver's seat because you realize that yeah cool life could be happening to to us but actually once you've got a picture or a vision of something you want you're going to try and make steps to get there and you're going to overcome barriers that are in your way because the prize is worth it. And I think around that, like sometimes it's just about describing a future so awesome that people will overcome to get there or or, because it's no doubt challenging, you know, building a business and, and things like that. And I think actually that speaks to as well the journey that our investors go on where it's like, you're having to put away some money. Maybe you'd prefer to spend it, but actually that future that you want for yourself looks a little bit different and, and it's so unique to you. So um, I kind of like it to just going, imagine that future for yourself. It's the same for us in a business, but I think it's also a huge motivator when it comes to money and because it, it helps you go and it helps you kind of get over those short-term gratification and helps you get long-term gratification and it's just so much sweeter once you actually get there or even if you missed it by a little bit you're further than what you would have got otherwise i like that because like what you're trying to do is change the industry it's such a big ambitious task right to say well you should be able to access this you should be able to do this you should be able to make life fun and enjoyable and you should be confident when you invest and do all these types of things 
and encouraging your team to think, how is this going to change your life? What's your vision of this future? I think that's a really key part because it's very easy to get bogged down in the day-to-day of like customer queries or frustrations or feedback. And you think, then you go into this big picture meeting and you think, well, I just had a conversation with like three people and they weren't happy. And but then you're telling me this thing over here and you're like, yes, but that's why we need to change it. And, and you, can, you can get that kind of internal friction there. Just quickly, do you guys do any type of like regular all hands or do you do like retreats or catch ups or like any type of thing that maybe just like resets people and gives them opportunity to buy into the picture? Yeah, we, we try really hard to do that. So we do an all hands once a fortnight and we do a strategy day once a year. So we've actually just done one. Um, so we had the whole team in Wellington and had a great day to get a chance to, I mean, and, and they're primarily connection days and big thinking days and sort of setting of, I made the mistake actually even right then of calling it a strategy day because it's not necessarily what it is. Like strategy happens, like we just don't vocalize a strategy or something like that, right? We, we share a vision and a story and stuff and then the team create a strategy. And, and so uh, we actually, the last one was called In It Together Day or Mahitahi Day. So it's a chance to connect and create those again. And particularly for those that aren't, well, actually not even just for those that aren't in the office, but we're in a building where we're separated across like five floors, I think. So we have like 30 people floor and it's personally not a big fan of that I'd way rather a bigger floor plate but economic environments and that sort of stuff like it's not a great priority for businesses right now but like I think having everyone in a room for those days is so amazing with regards to like showing like the power of what a company can be because 160 people have everyone there it just feels so big and so strong I think and as opposed to how siloed it can feel elsewhere in the, the day today so that's another great way, reason for bringing it together but yeah we definitely do them and Definitely, I mean, benefit of having Brooke, Sonia, and I, I suppose, is we've got three people. So we should have three times the chance, I suppose, of sharing those messages and giving people that sort of direct relationship to the vision and the purpose and the strategy of where we're trying to head. So we, we can try and make the most of that. I might just put you guys to the test a bit here. I've always been impressed with uh, Shares' marketing. I always think you guys just hit it in terms of like everything from the design and how people feel when they see the brand how you guys communicate here today, uh, how people experience it on social media or wherever, even on the platform. So I was going to put you, I was going to put three of you to the test, but even it will still work with two of you. And maybe Sonia will start with you. So Leighton, you've got that harder one because you come second in this, this little test. I just need you to pick one of the marketing strategies or like one of the platforms or however you want to think about something that's worked for you in the past that maybe other people listening to this can think in their businesses or in their, whoever they work for or whatever, maybe they can take away and be like, oh, that's a really interesting way of thinking about it. But like a lot of people would envy what you guys have created and how you did it at scale. I think I could be mistaken, but I, f- I feel like it was during COVID. I think I read an NZ Herald article where it was like, you guys like 5X'd your customers or something crazy like this. And I was like, wow, uh, that's a huge number. Obviously COVID and all that was in their mix there. But so to start with you, if you could pick one of those platforms or one of those channels to use to grow the business, if you did it again, which one would it be? Yeah. And I think people can see marketing in such different ways. And I think that's really interesting. Like one of them is like trying to tell people about yourself. Like people have to know you, right? To then want to use your product and it all connect with your business. But it probably, my view touches on what Leighton talked about earlier around like buying customers and how like I'm a firm believer that your marketing is an extension of your product. It's just a way of like, that's a good view. It's a good place to start from because 
no one kind of wants to be the junk mail catalogue that arrives in your mail. And I think there's heaps of online equivalents of that now. You know, I use the very real one. I definitely see my online feeds feeling like that. And so I love the view that more so than ever, we're able to build community online and build really strong connections. So I really like the social tools that can do that and support that. And that community is a real core part of building a business. And that sits with what enables two-way conversation because it's equally as important for you, for your customers to talk to you as it is for you, um, you know, talk with you as it is for you to talk with them. But seeing it as a real value exchange. So how is this content or whatever you're creating adding value to this person? Because that's a really cool part of where I see the value in growing an audience is through creating something of value and then more and more people seek you out. But, and so that's great over the long term. I think, uh, you know, coming down to platform, I always feel a bit like, oh, the platforms change um, so much. And I like, I'm just not one of those people who is like diehard on a platform or, or is up to date with the latest platforms or things like that. But one thing I have seen shift is um, groups, you know, Facebook groups is a key way to enable people to be able to communicate and, and customers to be able to talk with each other too, which is a really valuable thing. But one thing I'm seeing is people shifting towards their platforms to be more on the private spaces like Slack and Distill is really interesting. So they're actually taking them off these public platforms and putting them on ones where they can create more, have more control, I guess, over enabling that conversation and things know that the rules aren't going to change overnight on them and they're going to lose all their audience. Or So I think, you know, more what I'm saying is, or what I'm intrigued by is instead of this thing of being like going where your audience is as far as the platform is is to being like actually if you create something valuable people will come to you so it's like that's something I'm intrigued by and probably would continue to pull on over time I like that it's kind of just like me just getting some um, free insights from experts so uh, I'll indulge one more time uh, in here so what would you say man? like what maybe what works for you I guess even yeah, I'll first touch on Sonia and social media. Her um, TikTok channel's off the chain, by the way. <laughs> well followed on there. Quite a few dances around investing and stuff. Um, <laughs> I don't have TikTok just before anyone else goes and tries to find it. Probably I should create one after this. No, that would probably be more Brooke's game, to be honest, but um, she's not here to defend herself. So, yeah. <laughs> so true. I think like Sonia, way more than platform. It's like, what what are you trying to achieve? So, and you've got to get really close to that early. And I think one of the things we observed very quickly at Sharesies through customer research, to be honest, the customers will tell you if you speak to enough of them, was that trust was going to be the key thing that we could build. And we saw that in so many different aspects of like, you know, for example, at Sharesies trades, I don't know how many millions of dollars every day now, right? But quite a few. And it took us like, three months, I think maybe, till we had a million dollars total go through the platform, which sounds like a big number still. In fact, it got made a headline at the time, but it's sort of like a comically small number if you think about actually being able to create a business. But what it represented was this build of trust. And I remember about three or four weeks in, a customer put $10,000 into the platform. Up until then, like we were sort of strictly in the $30 to $50 type deposit range. And then they withdrew it the next day. And for context, at the time, I saw every single with deposit and withdrawal that went out of the platform. Like I, every single one, no one got by me. So I like got on the phone to call the customer and be like, hey, I noticed that you've made this withdrawal. Can you just 
I don't hound everyone, but like this with the money, by the way, <laughs> we, we were just a few weeks old and called them up and um, I just panicked overnight, your brand new platform. And I just thought that was, this is a lot of money for me. And I didn't think I could quite do that. And it was just constant things of trust. So for other platforms, it might be engagement. It might be, you got to find whatever it were, word it, it needs, but for financial services, it, it was trust. So we put ourselves out there a lot. So it was like, well, if Shazies is going down, isn't trustworthy, then there's at least six people that are going down with it <laughs> because people can really create that PR. So putting out, you know, trying to get as much in the news and, and that type of information as we could. And then connecting with a board as well, like bringing people onto our board that would also really widen that trust. I remember there was an early Reddit thread, people looking through, is this legit? Those types of conversations on it. And someone went and looked not only at our CVs based on the company's office and could see our names, but also sole independent director at the mo- at the time, Alison Geary, she's still our chair, but she was also a director of a bank and an airline and a couple of other big listed companies. So you can like, we just really focused on creating trust that way and then through blogs, blogs and storytelling. So yeah, it doesn't give you an answer for platform at all, but it does say, look, what is the one thing that you need to make people engage with your business? And and for us, I, I really think that was trust and it remains true in what we do in Australia right now. And that's just, it can be really broad, like trust, right? But leaning into, we used a lot of video. You talked about COVID. We did a lot of that. Sonia and I actually did a podcast every, so every day, Sonia, I can't remember, or every week, whatever it was. And it got really popular. But again, it was us putting ourselves out there. And now we do less of that ourselves, except for when there's changes that the community aren't happy with in the platform or something, then we always front up and put ourselves out there for and ask me anything or whatever it is. That goes. So yeah, just trying to be really visible and brave with regards to that in human. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I've got a couple more questions for you, which maybe let me stay with you, which is just like, obviously, like being in a relationship while being in a business, oftentimes there's a lot of separation between work life and home life and personal life and people really value that because when it's almost like when you're playing sport you step over the line you become a different person it's like when you step into work you can put on the professional face and then you go home you switch off and then you can allow your mind just to relax and be calm and enjoy different parts of life i'm just curious how you've worked through that as a professional, as someone is also in like obviously doing this type of thing, like the media and that sort of stuff, like how you think about that and if you have any guidance for other people who may be in a relationship with someone that they work with as well. Yeah. Uh, firstly, yeah, like the work-life balance and separation, all that type of thing. Brooke and I have just, we gave up on that a long time ago. We talk about work, work life <laughs> harmony. Um, so, you know, that a thing that they we're very passionate about. We've got two young kids as well, but very passionate about shares. He's like, and like a third baby in our life in some ways, I suppose. It's like, it's talked about often. We enjoy its ups and we struggle with its downs sometimes, you know, and its tantrums or, or whatever in between. But ultimately, like, there was two. So Sonia and Ben as well in a relationship when, well, and still are, um, when we started Shazies and again, it wasn't something that a lot of people liked. Like some people like, no, stay away from it. And you hear a lot of stories as well of people who go into a start a company, which is a big strain on a relationship. If you start it and it's only one of you in there, and I, I don't think it's ever been a big strain on our relationship. But I think it would be if it was just one of us in there. You know, it's like, again, it's like you're both in it. You have the same work stories, I suppose. You can talk about it, and I'm not saying everyone has to do it with your partner or whatever. That's definitely not what I'm saying. I'm just saying whatever works for people works. And um, 
the tips from from me are we do say if we just can't be bothered talking about work and so that I'd say once or twice a week at least both of us probably actually use that and say look I just don't want to talk about it at the moment so it's like, okay cool you go and mull over it somewhere and that's just completely respected and then I don't know I don't, I don't have that much more to say because it's sort of the only way we've known it but can't imagine it not being like that either yeah Sonia do you ever see do you ever feel something like do you feel something similar do you is there ever like an issue with it or do you see it as like an advantage I definitely definitely saw it as an advantage early on and actually like because Ben's just left the business so it's it's really interesting kind of navigating what it's like to not work together as well because it has been that way when it is such a big part of your life but I think probably as well it's for the people who choose that life I do think it's a choice to do that and even to start a business I'm aware that it's not a choice everyone can have and that it's privileged to have that choice but um, I think if you're in a position and you're wanting to start a business like that in itself you've kind of the work-life harmony is how you see it and you're probably one of those people you know like I enjoy my work I'm very lucky to enjoy my work and I choose I get a lot out of it so sometimes it it doesn't feel like a chore so when you're fizzing about that thing and it's you're starting up and you're working together it's really awesome because it can kind of build that momentum as well and you've got someone who you can true talk about this really important thing in your life together and be on that same page. And where I think it helps is there's often people talk about what what really healthy culture teams look like, and it's not necessarily people always agreeing or people sitting there and having these really pleasant conversations. Sometimes what you witness in really actually healthy teams is lots of disagreement, lots of people really passionate about what they're saying, what might look like arguing or um, but it's passion right and I think that we get really used to navigating those things in our personal life with people because it's your life you know it's it's, you're making these value-based choices and I guess what that does is it translates to work as well and you can have these really honest conversations you can put your view out there you know you're respected it's quite safe and I think that that's actually really important for all teams to get there because I do think it makes the work better and so I think definitely being able to go there with people has was very very important to me anyway early on um, because it can when you are starting as a new team you have to build that trust and build that respect to be able to go there whereas when you start a business with someone that you're with you're already there (laughs) I actually maybe just one final question on culture if I may is like I look at the what you guys have created and it's like really inclusive from the brand internally, et cetera. I'm curious, and this is maybe a polarizing question, but being so inclusive, focusing on things like equality, all really important things, right? Has that led to any drawbacks in business performance or anything like this? And what I'm trying to do is kind of like debunk some myths or just think critically about this, or if you have any advice for people and expectations around building a business this way and what it means. Yeah, Sheezy's is like, you, you're right all, all about all of those things. We care about them all. We're B Corp. But people ultimately are going to achieve most of this six of us as founders, 160. We clearly don't do most of the work now, right? So you need to trust and and um, develop and, and support those people to, to do their best work. So sort of that's what it comes down to. I don't know what, what you think. 
Yeah, I can't really think of any drawbacks. Like I do think as such, it's just like any, I don't know how you could operate. But like I can't picture us operating without that. You know, like why our big why, our mission is what we do, but how we do is also so, so important to us. And um, and I think, you know, it comes back to that point I was talking about imagination and, and how the power of that and being able to create the future. But I also think in the how, what needs to exist to be able to support big picture thinking and big picture execution is also an environment where people feel that they can thrive. And that's very nuanced to create. But I don't know, oh, and if you think about a time where you were somewhere that you didn't fit in necessarily and, and how much of your headspace went into like trying to A, either fit in or navigate, like, do I even care about fitting in? Or <laughs> you know, like we're social people and we're trying to exist somewhere together. And I think, once you remove that, if you fit in somewhere, you're bringing more of yourself, you're bringing, you know, that's a whole lot of that problem-solving space just disappears and all of a sudden you can get on to thinking about those big-picture goals and you're in that thriving part of life where you're thinking you feel that you can make an impact, you feel like you can make a change. So, you know, for what we're doing, we need people to be thinking and feeling like that. We need investors to be thinking and feeling like that because that's not how they've been feeling. So we, you know, equally what we try to create internally is also then trying to, the life that we're trying to create externally where our customers believe that too, where they believe that they can be empowered, where they believe that they can have the future that they want to have for themselves and that really everything else is just a tool to help them get there. So much about a mindset because sometimes we're stereotyped and we don't even know that we are and that just puts barriers around us. And so the more we can kind of lift that and create that, like that's really to me the key to empowerment anyway. It's just something that like we talk about a lot as business owners and you see it more in like the tech side of things where there are a lot of different cultural benefits to being certain businesses. And we see that the, like the oftentimes we build who we are and I can see that based on like, again, the interactions that I have with people in your business and then how people from the outside perceive it and who uses the platform and people feeling like they're welcome and people feeling like they're, they're able to do this thing that maybe they've been put off by for so long. So yeah, I just wanted to see if there was any downsides or if there was anything like that, but I couldn't think of any myself. I was, that's what I was saying, if you guys knew any, but finally, you guys have written a book. Right. The shares his guide to investing. And the subject line is that it's your roadmap to financial freedom. Right. And I know who the book is for, but I'm curious to ask who you think the book is for and what they'd get out of it, given that you already do so much, right? You already do so much with the platform, with financial education, with content, and just spreading the message generally. But who did you envision to pick this book up and use it to help themselves? Yeah, I think and it comes back to like so much, you know, we had that earlier platform conversation about who's where and how that's all changing. But often picking up a book or being given a book, you feel like you've got everything you need in that one place to be able to to get on and do something. Because the internet can be, you know, a scary place. You can get lost. You're like, am I an expert now? <laughs> do I know all the things I need to know? So I think the book really is for someone who's intrigued, interested, and wants to feel that they've got a good, a good, like they've got the tool to give them their first step into being an investor. And that, um, you know, if they kind of settle in with that, that should be, you know, enough to get them started on that journey. And we wrote it because 
we're huge. A big part of what we do is access and access to information is really, really important and making sure that that information is accessible in different forms as well. As Like I remember giving most of my education to do with finance or money was being given a book or being like, yeah, as, as, a, as a young person. I think what's interesting is like, sorry, we saw a gap to make sure it was relatable to, da- to today's context. And also when I was reading books about investing as a teenager or, or money, I didn't then have the platform to be able to actually execute on that, what I was learning. You know, I would have to have saved up heaps of money. So I think what's really cool as well is being able to um, not only provide the information, but also now um, that we're at a time where platforms exist, where you can actually put into play what you're learning in the books. I love that idea of like giving something like the actual gift, like the gift of if that is really important, it's like a gesture. You can take this home with you and it can be like a companion that people take. And I think that is as we move into this era where so much is online or even artificially driven these days to have the opportunity to just hand something to someone where they can actually just like switch off from all those things around them and focus on the on what's in front of them is really important as a great gift, even if it doesn't hit with everyone. Even if one in 10 actually read the book cover to cover, maybe that changes a family, not just an individual's life and, and their kids and their kids. So that's great. So um, there'll be a link in the show notes to anyone that's watching or listening. You can go and pick that up and we will do a giveaway. We normally do a giveaway on the RAS channels when, uh, whenever we have authors on the show. So we'll do a giveaway in coming weeks because we love that feeling of giving that to people as well. So yeah, check it out. It's a great one. Lovely cover as well. Final question for both of you. If you could go back and just give your younger selves one piece of advice, and it could be on money, finance, or investing, or business, or whatever you want to talk about. Like, what would you be telling yourself if you were maybe before the shares is journey? Maybe, Leighton, we'll start with you. What would you have said? Before the shares is journey. Um, so hard, eh? Because I just sort of think like things work out because they work out. And like right now, I think it's tough economic environment and all that sort of thing. But Again, like I wouldn't change any, like there's lots of decisions we could have made differently, which would have changed everything about how it's going right now. But we did them for the information we had at the time. So I guess it would be in some ways just stick to your guns on that. Because I, I, within reason, I had that view anyway, I suppose, which is like you just got to give something a go. And then like, I'm just such a massive believer in momentum, which is like, it doesn't matter how big the thing is, you've just got to start moving towards it in some way. And you can... It doesn't matter if you go sideways first or even a little bit backwards, whatever it is, as long as in your head you think you're going towards it. Like, So I think we'll just be stick with that as a mentality and hopefully it'll work out hard. And, you know, to be honest, I'm telling myself the same thing at the moment when things are a little bit more challenging Yeah, for lots of reasons. Yeah, I love that, mate. Progress over perfection is, yeah, it's such an important piece of advice for anyone in life and in work and wherever you go. How about you, Sonia? One thing that you would tell yourself? Yeah, I think, and it probably matches my, you know, financial thoughts as well as business thoughts, which is just like cutting yourself some slack when it's your day one, you know, like it's like you don't need to know it all on day one. You don't need to be someone to do something, you know, like I think, so for finance, like I wish I started earlier. I wish I started investing ages ago (laughs) and I wish I, you know, didn't have to think I had to be someone before that you know, before I could really just start doing that thing. And I think the same with being in business. One of the things I tell myself constantly is, especially, 
because you're put in these situations where you feel like you have to know the answer. And I think, or more so that that's where your position in the world, you know, as things grow, you're like, well, I should know this level now. Whereas really, you know, like I get so much joy out of being a learner, not a knower. And how to kind of keep that with you as you grow. And no one actually looks at you and expects you to know the answer. And so the thing I tell myself, constantly is knowing how to get an answer is more important than knowing an answer because the problems are going to change what comes up is going to change and really it's like who have you got with you you know have you got a great support network and and rely on the people around you because people want to see you succeed and they will help you and people have such broad experience and so whatever you're up against someone had got something to add to that to, to how you want to think about that so just kind of not yeah, like being okay in that unknown space and, and kind of trusting yourself earlier to have it. I love that to plug the investing part as well, which we should while we're here on, but that gets started. A real croaky voice, but um, people like still throw up barriers all the time for other people on why you shouldn't do something, like whether it's fees or like platforms not for you or whatever, like oh, it's so much garbage, I think. Like you just start and that's where the value is for so long. You know, you can start worrying about all these other aspects probably 10 years from now, honestly. And if you can just relieve yourself of all that stress for 10 years, imagine how many more people would get going. Because it all does not matter. Like it drives me nuts when people go on about all this due diligence and all this sort of stuff you need to do. Like, of course you need to, actually you just need to do something that you can afford, right? And just give it a go or learn. And like I say, if you go backwards for a little bit, it doesn't matter because you will learn so much and then you can start. It all nothing, None of that matters. And, and, and if you start now, then when it does matter, you just by nature of doing it you have the skills to no different to anything else we learn so and it's kind of that thing of like if you you kind of can look at an expert and you can go oh an expert but you know how did every expert has a day one you know like we're surrounded by houses but everyone was an apprentice once you know and had their first day of work and so it's kind of that thing of going you'll only get you know where are you trying to go with something and not you know the only way to get there really is by starting and to be on that journey Mm, such a good way, a fitting way to end the show, guys. I really do appreciate you taking the time to join me today, to join me from across the pond, and hopefully I get to meet you in person because that would be lovely one day soon. But in the meantime, I'll make do with the Shares Australia team and, and getting to know them. So once again, I really appreciate you both taking some time out of your day. Great. Thanks for having us on. Thanks, Owen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Business Podcast. I think this series is best served with my free business course on RASC education. My free course includes all of my notes, templates, employment guides, legal documents, marketing strategies, software recommendation, and ideas for starting and running a small business. If you're a small business owner or an expert like an accountant, lawyer, investor, or entrepreneur, I want to hear from you. I'm not 100% sure what we're going to do with this podcast series, so I'm looking for sponsors as well as potential co-hosts, and of course, I'm eager to invest in businesses run by talented people. If you're looking for a supporter or advisor, a silent partner, or even an investor to support your growth, I can help. Please contact me via the Rask website. Finally, if this podcast or the course helps you, I only ask that you please help me by sharing it with one friend, colleague, or family member who runs a business. Thanks for listening.